take our seats. Good morning. My name is Adam. If we haven't met yet, I'm uh, one of the pastors here and it's so good to have you with us this morning. What we're going to do now is we're going to spend just a few moments opening up the Bible and hearing from God's Word. And if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way in. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 34. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. If you don't have your Bible with you, then you can uh, follow along on the screen. This is what we read. Jesus speaking, and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these life-giving words of Jesus. We pray that in these next few moments we might be empowered by your spirit, changed by your truth, so that we might be sent out on your mission for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1977, Bob Marley sang, Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing going to be all right. Singing, don't worry about a thing, because every little thing going to be all right. In 1994, Timon and Pumbaa from The Lion King sang, Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata ain't no parson craze. I'm tempted to sing, but I won't, for, for your good. It means no worries. For the rest of your days, it's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. Now, they are both great songs, but I'd like to ask Bob Marley and Timon and Pumbaa, how do you know? How can you be so sure? How do you know that everything is going to be all right? How can you be so sure that we shouldn't 
worry. And maybe you want to ask Jesus the same thing. In that passage that we just read from Matthew chapter 6 a moment ago, Jesus tells us three times, he says to us, do not worry. And maybe you're wondering, well, Jesus, how can you say that? How do you know? In fact, how does anybody have the audacity to say to us, well, don't worry about it? I mean, have you ever had it where you were really worried about something? I mean, really worried? And someone comes along to you and says, well, what are you so worried about? Don't worry about it. Does that help? I learned very early on in my married life not to do this. Molly and I were on our honeymoon. We'd enjoyed a a beautifully relaxing week in Koh Samui in Thailand. And we were due to fly to Bangkok late that afternoon. Now I thought to myself, well, the airport's only 30 minutes away, so we don't really need to get ready till after lunchtime. We had a beautiful morning, buffet breakfast, massages on the beach, lunch in town, and then we eventually came back, got our stuff together, went to reception to get a taxi to go to the airport. Now when I gave them our itinerary to show them where we were going so they could tell the taxi driver, I could tell by the looks on their faces that not all was well. Turns out we were flying out from a different airport to the one that we flew in on. And this other airport, to get there, you had to not only take a boat ride, but then a bus ride. And so by now we were very, very late and very, very unlikely to make our flight. And so they shoved us in a taxi and and off we went. Now in that taxi I had a very worried bride. This was not only her first time travelling overseas, but she now realised, or was beginning to realise, if she hadn't yet, that she had married an idiot. (laughs) And so, me seeing that she was very worried, very anxious, tried to make it better by saying, babe, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We'll work it out. And that's not the right thing to say in that moment when you've forgotten to check the itinerary and you might be stranded in who knows where in Thailand. Doesn't always help. And yet if we're honest, it might seem a little bit like this is what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. Don't worry about it. Hakuna Matata. Doesn't matter. But you might be thinking, well, how can you say this, Jesus? There are so many things in my life that I could be worried about. In fact, if I was to ask you the question, what makes you anxious? What makes you worried? How would you answer that? How would you fill in the blank? Maybe for you it would be going to the doctor. Losing control. Being able to find a spouse or the right spouse. Being able to have a child. Losing a spouse. Losing a child. Failing as a parent. Maybe it's your deadlines, difficulty at work, difficulty finding work, family feuds, rebellious teenagers, broken relationships, money, peer pressure, bullying, body image, sickness, economic problems, environmental problems, the threat of nuclear war. I mean, I could keep going on. And maybe you weren't worried, but maybe now you are. (laughs) It's perhaps not surprising that anxiety 
is the most common mental health condition in Australia, with around 2 million people who suffer from it. In fact, according to some statistics, one in seven Aussies will suffer from an anxiety disorder at any given time. And this means if it's not you personally, then it's likely that someone sitting around you suffers from anxiety or someone in your family. This is a big issue for many of us. And before I go on this morning, I want to make something very clear. I want to make a distinction between anxiety and worry. See, anxiety is more than the everyday worries that most people experience. Anxiety is looking out at future threats and future dangers and future difficulties and worrying about everything that could go wrong. And it can become debilitating. It can make you feel panicky, tense and on edge. It can make you feel short on breath and give you a racing heart. In fact, one person describes anxiety as kind of like having the Jaws theme, you know, to the movie Jaws, always constantly playing in your life. You're constantly looking for the fin. You're sure that something somewhere is going wrong. And to those of us who wrestle with anxiety, let me encourage you to reach out for help if you haven't already. It is not weak to admit that you need help. Every single one of us needs help in some ways and in different ways and at different times. And if you wrestle with anxiety, reach out for help. It's a complex issue which requires holistic help and holistic support. It's not just a spiritual issue or just a psychological issue or just a physical issue. It's all of these things. It requires holistic support. But what I'm going to be talking about this morning, and what I'd like to address, is not so much chronic anxiety. I don't feel like I have the expertise to do that, but what I'd like to do is to address the everyday worries and cares and concerns that we all face in life. And I'd like to look at this at the start of the year, because the truth is, we are going to face things this year, in 2019, that will cause us to worry. Maybe you're already looking at it this year to come and you're already worried about some things that are in the pipeline. And so as Christians and as followers of Jesus, we want to know what God has to say about our worry. And I think together as a people and as a church, we want to live with greater trust and greater confidence in God in 2019. And so we're going to explore what Jesus had to say about worry this morning in Matthew chapter 6. Now to break this passage down, I'd like to explore and answer just three simple questions. Number one, what is worry? Number two, why do we worry? And then number three, what can we do about our worry? Why do we do it? Sorry, what is it? Why do we do it? And what can we do about it? So let's begin with that first question, what is worry? Now if you were to Google the question, what is worry, you will get 603 million responses. Trust me, I tried it this week. But here, in this passage, Jesus gives us a helpful insight into the nature of worry. We see it in verse 34 at the end of the passage, where Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry about 
tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, here, Jesus is kind of summing up what he said so far. And what he's saying is that worry is concern about what may happen tomorrow. Whenever we worry, we are upset in the present about something which may or may not happen in the future. We worry that we may not pass an exam or find a job or get married or stay healthy, whatever it is. Tim Keller puts it this way. Worry is concern about the potential, not the actual. Worry is concern about that which we can't control. That's why we're anxious. We feel the need for control in an area where there is no possibility of control. Worry is concern about what may or may not happen tomorrow. And this is why worry is a waste. It's a waste of time, thoughts, energy. In fact, this is what Jesus says in verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In other words, does worry enhance our life, lengthen our life, revitalise and re-energise our life? No, it does the opposite. In fact, it might actually shorten our life. Dr Charles Mayo of the famed Mayo Clinic, which you, you may have heard of, he's quoted as saying, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands and the whole nervous system. Though I have never known a man who died of overwork, I have known a whole lot who died of worry. Or as Charles Spurgeon, the the great preacher, put it so insightfully, and this was a man who dealt with a lot of anxiety himself. He said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Or as John Stott, the well-known theologian and preacher put it. He said, we need to learn to live a day at a time. We should plan for the future, of course, but not worry about the future. Each day has troubles enough of its own. So why anticipate them? If we do, we double them. For if our fear does not materialise, we have worried once for nothing. If it does materialise, we have worried twice instead of once. In both cases, it is foolish. Worry doubles trouble. That's a great line, isn't it? Worry doubles trouble. And this is the answer to our first question. Worry is over-anxious concern about what may happen tomorrow, in the future. And this helps us to answer our second question. Why do we worry? You see, if worry is over-anxious concern about the future then we worry because we've forgotten the God who holds the future. In fact, the word translated worry in this passage, it literally means a divided mind. A divided mind. On the one hand, we say that we believe and trust in God, but then on the other hand, we worry about our kids and our finances and our jobs. It's one mind doing two opposite things saying that we trust God for the future, but then worrying about the future. This is why Proverbs 3 verse 5, that well-known passage, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. See, when it comes to worry, many of us say that we believe in God and we trust in God. But then practically, we might live as if he doesn't exist. We say we believe in God, but then we live, in many ways, like practical atheists. And in fact, this is exactly what Jesus says in this passage in verse 31 and 32. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Now, the pagans are simply those who don't know God at all. And Jesus is saying, of course they're going to worry about their lives and worry about their future. They don't know that there is a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them and will provide for them. But for the Christian, for the believer, it's different. What's the difference? Jesus says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. He cares for you. You don't have to worry about the future because you have a God in heaven who holds you and the future in his hands. Now to make his point a little bit further, Jesus then goes on to give us two examples, uh, two illustrations from the natural world. The first is the illustration of birds. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, birds don't take up farming, do they? They don't store up all their bird seed in big bird barns. They just trust God to feed them each day, and God provides for them. And what Jesus is saying, if God provides for even the birds of the air, then surely he will provide for his people. Now it's important that we don't hear this as a call to laziness, as if we just need to sit back and wait for God to deliver us a pizza. I mean, think about how God feeds the birds. He doesn't just kind of drop the food in their beaks, does he? Now the birds, if you've ever seen them in the wild, they work very hard to find their food. They go out and they collect it and they bring it back. And it's the same for us. We have to work. The point is not that we need to sit back and wait for God to magically fill our pantry. The point is that God has created a world with abundant resources, even for the birds. And Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? Look at the birds. But then Jesus goes on and gives us the second example, which is flowers. This is what he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, son of David, one of the kings of Israel, and just ridiculously wealthy, insanely wealthy, not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire, they would use grass in those days to fuel their fires, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Now flowers are beautiful, aren't they? We use them to decorate our homes and our gardens and our weddings. But they're also very fragile and very fleeting. In fact, part of the reason I don't buy flowers for Molly more often is that because you spend 30, 40 bucks on them and then they're dead within a week. I'm such a romantic, aren't I? My poor wife. But Jesus' point is this. If God clothes the grass, 
with beautiful flowers which are so fragile, so fleeting, here today, gone tomorrow. If he cares about the grass in that way by clothing it, do you not think that he will care and provide for you? Do you think that he will fail to look after you, his own child? Charles Spurgeon again, he says, Lovely lilies, how you rebuke our foolish nervousness. And so Jesus is is inviting us to pause, to stop, to slow down, to look at the birds of the air, to look at the flowers of the field and to remember who our God is. To remember that he is a good father and a generous provider. Now maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that's all good and well, Adam. That, that sounds really nice. I like birds. I like flowers. But, but there's a problem. If God has promised to feed and clothe his children, then why are so many of his children hungry, poorly clothed and living in poverty? I mean, has God forgotten about them? Let me just say a few things. The first is that Jesus Christ was not unfamiliar with poverty. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, spent much of his time with the poor and disadvantaged. In fact, do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9? He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, it's referring to Jesus himself, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus knew poverty far more than probably most of us ever will. Secondly, in this passage, Jesus is not promising us a trouble-free life. In fact, do you remember what he said at the very end of the passage in verse 34? He said, each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is not naive about the reality of this broken world. Jesus is not naive about the hardship that we face in this world. But Jesus is promising Not that God will shield you from all hardship in your life, but that God will ultimately bring you through it safely to him. The third and final thing I want to say on this is what John Stott has to say. I'd just like to read for you what John Stott says on this issue in his commentary. I'll put it on the screen so you can follow along. He says, It does not seem to me that there is a simple solution to this problem, but one important point should be made. Namely, that the most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision, but an inequitable human distribution. It's not that God has not given us enough food. There is more than enough food in this world for everybody to eat. It's that we have not shared it equally. It goes on. The truth is that God has provided ample resources in earth and sea. The earth brings forth plants yielding seeds and trees bearing fruit. The animals, birds and fish he has made are fruitful and multiply. But men hoard or spoil or waste these resources and do not share them out. It seems significant that in this same Gospel of Matthew, the Jesus who here says that our Heavenly Father feeds and clothes his children later says that we must ourselves feed the hungry and clothe the naked and will be judged accordingly. It is always important to allow scripture to interpret scripture. The fact that God feeds and clothes his children does not exempt us from the responsibility of being the agents through whom he does it. God 
is calling on us as his people to have such trust in him for the future that we freely and generously share our resources with those in need. And this is Jesus' point in this passage. He is calling on us to trust in God, our Heavenly Father. He's saying that if God cares even for the birds and the flowers, then how much more will he care for you, his precious child? And in fact, we know that it goes even deeper than this. In Romans 8 verse 32 we read, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, if God loved you enough to send Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to die for you, do you really think that he's going to forget about you now? What more would God have to do to prove his commitment to you? Surely, if God cares enough to send his son to die in our place for our sin, we can trust him with our bills and our jobs and our families and our worries. Surely, if God cares enough to take care of our eternity, we can trust him to take care of our life on earth. This is what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. Worry is over-anxious concern about tomorrow, about the future. And the reason we worry is when we forget that God holds the future. And this leads us to our third and final question, and that is, what can we do about our worry? Now, there are many different ways that people try to deal with worry. Some are good and healthy, others not so much. I read this week about a man who worried so much that he decided to hire someone to do his worrying for him. He found a man who agreed to be his hired warrior for a salary of $200,000 per year. Now, after the man accepted the job, the first question for his boss was, well, where are you going to get $200,000 per year? To which he replied, that's your worry. And so that's not probably a, a healthy way to deal with your worry, but here's how Jesus says we can deal with our worry in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If worry is the result of a divided mind, the solution to our worry is wholehearted devotion to God. It's making our biggest worry pleasing him and obeying him and trusting him to take care of everything else. And when we live in this way, with this firm, humble, confident trust in God, both as individuals and as a church, we will begin to make Jesus non-ignorable in our world. In fact, it reminds me of a story I once heard about John Wesley. John Wesley was the, the founder of um, Methodism, he was a theologian, and he set out for America in 1735. He was on his way to preach the gospel there to the Native Americans. Now during the voyage, the ship that he was on was struck by a huge storm, and John was terrified. But also on board this ship, there was a group of Christians from Germany called Moravians. And in the middle of this storm, they were holding a worship service. 
John recounts the event in his journal and he writes, In the midst of the service, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. Typical palms. <laughs> I'm just anxious about the ashes later this year. Sorry. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, Were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, But were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, No, our women and children are not afraid to die. And in that moment, John knew that they had something he didn't. An absolute trust, an absolute confidence in God. They knew that God had them and he was never going to let them go. And John was deeply changed, deeply impacted by their example. And in a world where it is normal to worry, to panic, to stress, to complain, to get angry, to get outraged, we will be a witness to Jesus through our calm demeanour and our humble trust in him. Because we know that God will never let us go. We know that the God who went to the cross for us in the past promised to be with us in the present will be with us for all eternity. It's not that tomorrow won't have troubles and difficulties. In fact, Jesus promised us that it would. He said, in this world you will have trouble. Will have. But then he added, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, the solution, the way that we can face the uncertainty of tomorrow and not worry in the present is to know that Jesus has overcome the world and that there is nothing that will come into our lives that is greater than him. It reminds me of that song, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Now as I close, I just want to offer one practical suggestion as to how we can overcome worry in our day-to-day lives. And it's very simply this. Turn moments of worry into moments of prayer. When you feel yourself start to worry, start to play the what-if game, what if that happens, what if this happens, what if that doesn't happen, don't ignore it, don't indulge it, don't beat yourself up over it, but turn it into an opportunity for prayer. Philippians 4 verse 6, the Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When we tell God what we're worried about, we're giving our burdens to him. We have to be wise and we have the responsibility to do what we can, but we also have the privilege to give our worries to our Heavenly Father. And Philippians 4 goes on to say in the very next verse, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, the answer to worry is not a trouble-free life. The answer to worry is a real relationship with the real God 
the God who holds all things in his hands, the God who is the same yesterday, today and forever, the God who promises that not a hair will fall from your head without his knowing and his permission, the God who has not remained distant from the chaos of our world, the worries of our world, but has entered in in his son Jesus Christ has gone to the cross to pay for our sin, has risen again to defeat all of our enemies and now invites us to come to him freely, to know him forever and to trust him fully. The Bible says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you believe that to be true? Let's live this year as if it is, because it is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we admit, Lord, that we are so easily worried and anxious about so many different things. And Lord, we want to this morning just take a small step of trust towards you. We want to know that you are our Heavenly Father that you care for us. And Lord, if you are for us, what can possibly be against us? So Lord, help us this year as we face all that is on its way. Help us to deal with it with confident trust and faith in you so that we might be a witness to Jesus who has done everything for us so that we might know you forever. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.